Hello and welcome to Artbox DNV. I'm your host, Jason. In this episode, I had the opportunity to talk to Nicole Cathcart. Nicole is a muralist, an oil painter, whose work is very colorful, thoughtful, and a call of action for the environment before it's too late. Our conversation covered her start in the visual arts, her love of color, the themes she explores in her work, and a question I should have asked, but didn't. So with that, sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview. Let's get to know you and your story. So uh, here we go. Who, how, and why did you get interested in visual art? Um, so I'm kind of one of those kids that I'm sure it's a common story. Like I just kind of always knew I was going to be doing this. Like my earliest memories are writing and like drawing with my crayon box and my colored pencils. And um, I kind of did that a lot. So I grew up in um, Canada and I moved to America when I was a teenager. And that was kind of an alienating experience. I got more into like painting at that time because I didn't really know anyone in this country. And like, it seems like not that far because I moved from there to like central New York, small, small town. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in a big city, Toronto, and moved to a small town. Didn't know what to do at all. I had this old drafting table and I used to paint with gouache on it constantly on this like big. I remember that my mom used to buy that, um, you know, those rolls of like, packing paper, oh, yeah. the brown paper, and mm -hmm. I just like all day. So I kind of just always was a painter. I, I have a BFA in studio arts and um, painting and also ceramics um, because I have a dual BFA. And then when I finished school, at the time I was just doing canvas work and I was like sending out wherever I could, trying to get in shows and I'd go anywhere, we'll give a show. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the places that I got a show was here in Richmond. They're like first Friday, you know, and I had a show in a bar and I was like really mired in the, like, you know, I was like a punk kid. So I got it because one of my friends that I went to high school with was in a punk band here. Um, Cause Richmond's punk scene was insane. Um, and in still is by the way. It is. So I just kind of came here. They had, we had a big old show. I put my paintings up. I sold a bunch of them and I just kind of fell in love with the area, probably because of the punk scene, but also a little of the street art scene and the, like everything was felt like it was kind of buzzing and humming and popping here. So I kind of moved here like within the year. And here is where I found street art. Um, I didn't, I had not painted anything on, on walls before I moved here. So um, could you say then that uh, it found you rather than you found it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it did kind of find me. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I had like one of the cool things about Richmond is it has a roller derby team and I used to be on it. Oh, wow. Um, and one of my roller derby wives served on uh, the board for the street art festival here, the local one. Yeah. And um, they used to have like a um, paint off. They just brought in people who didn't really know that much about, like they weren't that experienced and they gave them four hours and we all painted something and then they judged it. And then the ones that won got a wall in the festival and I won that. And it was kind of crazy because I was there and I think the other person who got a wall was Nils Westergaard, who, yeah, like that's the time period. Like we were both babies at that time. Um, so I think he had just started painting walls. And I had never painted anything. So we we painted in the, I think it was like 2013 or something. I can't remember. 
Like, I didn't know what I was doing at all. Like, I'm glad it's gone. Um, <laughs> it doesn't look anything like what I would do now. It's kind of embarrassing. Like, it was in the GRTC, so there's a bunch of long buildings with tall walls. Mm-hmm. So there was, like, everybody was, like, kind of on top of each other. Um, and I was crashing Joshua Mays, who is the Bay Area and amazing. Hence was painting the building next to me and stole all my freaking purple. Um, <laughs> it's okay, dude. It's all right. But um, it was community purple. I just, you know, it's hence, man. He uses a lot of paint. Um, <laughs> so there's like, I like busy was there. Uh, Fueling fire was there. And like that kind of, you know, I walked away from that experience going oh well that's it like that's and this is what i'm doing now (laughs) how daunting is it to work in something small to then all of a sudden go huge like you recently posted about doing a wall that was what 100 feet long and and now oh yeah now now it's it's nothing nothing. (laughs) i just finished running alexandria was 100 feet wall but 100 feet long by i think it was like 20 high or something like that oh okay that piece is only like 16 feet tall. Like, um, and for me, that's now is tiny. Yeah. No, yeah. But at the time I had no idea. And then, but I didn't know that I didn't know anything about it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's like kind of a beautiful zone to be. (laughs) You know, I would concur. It is. is Sometimes it does help not to know what you know and that you don't know. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So I think back on some of the things I did, like, um, like I didn't know how to, drive a scissor lift and they they had like they didn't have enough for everybody's and i was like i was a, i'd never painted on a wall before so i was painting it like one o'clock in the morning to like four o'clock in the morning or something like that mm. using scissor lifts by myself in this like downtown definitely not safe i definitely got stuck oh because <laughs> that's happened to all of us like i climbed yeah and i climbed down the side of it because i thought because i was by myself yeah. i didn't know and now i think about that like oh my god could have hurt I yourself. definitely could have died right there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you learned um, how to use so yeah. it after that. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I pre-handed from, like, they literally gave me, like, 12 hours because I didn't check my email that much at the time because I didn't have a lot going. I wasn't a business owner at the time. It was just a yeah. thing that I did because yeah. my roller derby wife, like, said, hey, you should do this. And by the time I figured it out, they're like, oh, yeah, you got to start tomorrow. And I'm like, okay. So I just kind of, like, pulled a bunch of like crap from my sketchbook which is again embarrassing but and I freehanded it I didn't know how to do anything I didn't know you know generally when people start they'll use a projector as a training wheel you know no idea I just did it (laughs) that's actually pretty a good way to start when you think about it because then you don't have to rely on a projector or laying out a grid to do it you just do it right yeah, and I didn't like I didn't know anything about paint. I didn't know like you couldn't supposed to mix and what you're not. So I just kind of did it and I just fell in love with the experience of it. And I had that academic background, but I hadn't really been working that much. If you saw that work compared to how I paint now, you wouldn't think the same person painted it. Like it was like it's very graphic and comic booky because I had a kid. I didn't work for a while and then I came back and that was just what I was doing at the time. So it's not fun. Well, then that, that most of it's gone. <laughs> so then this is the perfect segue for this question. What mediums have you fallen in love with over the course of your career? So I love paint. I love paint. I love all kinds of paint. But what I have fallen into um, through a lot of because I love everything, I need to know how to use all of it. I can use and know the technicalities of almost any type of paint. 
in my studio, that leads me to use oil paint. And because I'm working on like super detailed hyper-realism, or at least I try to be hyper-realistic, that's always like a pursuit that you can never win. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but right now I'm using um, flat panel. I use a lot of clayboard because of its absorbency. Mm-hmm. So you can move a lot faster. Because I've been doing so many shows that have quick turnarounds, I'm constantly like turning over oil paints, which is not easy to do because nope. of dry time. There's a lot of chemical properties. Yep. Uh, and I don't like to use heavy chemical parts of that. So like liquid and all those like walnut oil and all this stuff that can help dry faster is really bad for you. And I work from my home. The only thing I use is like a tiny bit of gamisol. So that's all paint. And I'm just kind of wear respirators if you know it's like using spray paint kind of yeah you must as well use spray paint at that point yeah that's true point (laughs) when i get to the wall i use golden mural paint it's not house paint so i'm a a brush painter wherever i am i can do a four-story building in like a week with a brush i don't know how but it happened Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, it's called in the zone yeah it's practice right But golden mural paint works differently than um, like house paint. House paint's fine, but it's always got that white base and it's, you know, mixed by the CMYK. So like you got a blue, but it's not only blue. No. And sometimes it's pumped with so much pigment that if you add a drop of water to thin it, it just starts breaking down. Yeah, it, it does. And like it, it grays out. Like I know a lot of people who can mix with it, but when you mix the way I mix, which is constantly because I don't pre-mix anything yeah it grays out and dulls out a little bit and I I just don't personally like that I'll use it for the background though so anything Mm. that I'm not mixing you know that's a good idea but detail work I use golden mural paint but I function with um just the primaries and white and burnt umber all the same colors for every wall Mm. I've ever painted burnt umber is that your uh black basically um so I don't use black I mix burnt umber on like the blue I use is dark blue. Oh yes, like, a, a, like an ultramarine mm-hmm. equivalent. So you mix the two of them, and I feel like it gets a lot deeper. It does. Yeah, I would agree with you. And anyone listening out there should know that you know because <laughs> you don't want to go straight um, true black. You want to kind of go a little off of it, so then you have somewhere to go. Yeah, I don't use it in the studio. I don't do the red, yellow, blue, the primaries in the studio mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot more detail in what I'm working on behind me. It's just, it seems like a waste of time when I'm working fast. I don't know why it takes longer, but it does on a small scale. <laughs> I don't I haven't it's figured out that movement. It's yet. just movement. Think about it for a minute. You're doing yeah. this. And then when you're on a wall, you're doing this. So Right. And like, I'm, you know, using a two inch brush on a the pixel is bigger, right? Yeah. This one I'm using like a, the one behind me is like a 16 by 20 and I'm using like a size zero, zero, zero. Yeah. You're taking your time. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I'm doing it like I'm trying to get faster at it. This is a thing that I need to get. That's my, uh, that's my improvement that I need to make. That's a goal you're trying to reach. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I can place things easier on the wall. The the way I get everything on there is the same. Like I'm using the grid muffin. Yeah. So, a, you know, a one inch behind me, you know, on that painting is, that's pretty small. It, when I make that on the bigger side, it'll be like a one foot. Right. And then I'll chop it down like, you know, around the eyes and nose, mouth or whatever that needs to be like exact. 
in, in my work, sometimes I'll use a one foot grid or I'll get lazy and use a three foot grid. And, yeah, and yeah. usually the three foot grid, I can knock it out faster. It depends on, like you've said, you know, how much time you have, you know, sometimes I have yeah, a lot of time. And, and like how much math you want to do. I love that you're a good <laughs> yeah. method. You understand. I, I, like, I always go to like, that math. Oh, you know, yeah. especially like festivals and stuff where there's a bunch of people there. And it's like, you know, these spray painters, they're great. They go fast. They use their scribble grid. Yep. I can't scribble grid. Like my brain won't do it. Like, no, I, I'm dyslexic. So it's everything switches. It gets frustrating. I like to count. I, I mean, I think everybody's brain works a little like their brain chemistry works a little differently. And that's what it is. And like, the, what we call scribble grid really comes out of chicken scratch method, which was, um, oh, my brain is not going to, uh, Avoca, Avoca kind of was the first guy doing that. But Avoca was taking it from the old masters, which would use like, you know, the thing you learned in, you know, probably grade school when you were doing the portrait project with the circle and then the line and then the line. That's the same thing Avoca was doing it because it, or it the word would be the crap out of people. But. Yeah, because they got amplified and just others adopted. Yeah. <laughs> That actually kind of brings up uh, what roles of color, line, and form take in your work? So I think that color is a constant mix for me. I like having 9 million colors at my <laughs> fingertips, which is why I use like the primaries because I can mix literally anything. Yep. It's a science. It, it's not something I do consciously. And I think that the muddier and more complex the color, the more realist the actual result is. And I think that, especially on a wall, like, line almost doesn't play a form because oh. I am working with realism because I feel that realism is really mushy. You know what I yes. mean? Mm -hmm. There are no hard lines. Like, if you look at you know something on the screen right so you i've got that wood you know armrest on the thing if you look at it the light is kind of flaring off of it right and it's breaking what is a solid line so reality has no hard lines so my whole like kind of mantra is remembering that like it's all soft you're dealing with light not shape I think that's a long way to explain that I don't really use. I use lines, like a really exact line to put my sketch up. Right. And then I just try and nothing should be hard. Nothing. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. Uh, it is a good mantra to have. There, there's no hard lines. It is difficult to, to try to remember that and to, because that's what sometimes you want to draw what you see and you got to like pull yourself back sometimes yeah exactly that's like the other part of it where i always and this comes from i kind of learned to paint on walls separately from learning on canvas like i learned to paint on walls from uh a guy that uh the dmv may know as el camino mm -hmm. who's a really talented when he does his own like uh like uh paintings like realistic paintings he's incredibly talented and he would beat into my brain that you need to paint what you see not what you think you see, which ah. is part of, you know, subverting that line. So like in your head, you remember those lessons of 
you know, the eye is an almond shape, right? And, or a flower, you can see each petal. You can see each petal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, geez. You're taking me back to school. I'm, I might have to go see a right. Oh, no, dude. I am, I am that person. <laughs> when I said that, I think you will misunderstand how much I love Faye. This is what I mean. Like, oh, I, this right. stuff really gets me. <laughs> then I guess form is just a natural progression for you than when it comes to color. Because you're using the color to help create the form if I understand correctly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be like almost like the exact color. The value of the color is almost more important. You know, that like the light and darkness of the color is almost more important, but it, it is kind of all follows through because the way I kind of learned to paint was teaching myself to not think about it. Mm -hmm. That is practice. difficult. Yeah. That's like a, a to unlearn what you've learned and not to let your subconscious come through and to trust it. Right. Wow. But you did need to learn all those basics to do that. Yeah. Like, oh, I remember being like a 20 year old going, oh, that's some bullshit. Like, I'm going to, I know how to do this. And, but it turns out, you know, they know what they're talking about. Yeah. No, it's like, <laughs> damn it. I wanted them to be wrong. And yeah. they're not. Yeah. This is all stuff we used to think humans had to think about until like, Fairly recently, yeah. the Impressionists were the first kind of group of painters that had the ability to go buy a tube of paint. You used to mm -hmm. have to like make that paint. Yeah. And that knowledge, I think, is one of the things that make these old master paintings so good because they understand the medium. And if you don't understand your medium, I feel like it doesn't matter what you're going to say. Like you're, you're, what you're painting won't matter because you won't get it across the same I'm way. I'm going to quote you on that. That is a great statement right there. If you don't understand your medium, then you won't be able to say what you want to say. That yeah, is true. I mean, like you can be brilliant, brilliant, like theory, art theory. But if you don't have like the chops to pull it off, like you didn't take the time to learn it, then you're kind of selling yourself short. Yeah. Kudos. I agree with that. <laughs> No, really. That's kind of, you went, see, you understand pain because you went and did theater backdrops. And I think that they yeah. make you learn so much in that. Yeah. So, uh, where were we? Oh, so let's start talking about some of this uh, work that you have behind you here. Oh, gotcha. So uh, my canvas work right now, kind of, I kind of have like two arms of it. I do a lot of portraiture, but it's like socially oriented portraiture and I also do these skull pieces that I call symbiotic pieces and those mm. are so like symbiotic relationships are relationships where one thing depends on another mm -hmm. and it's a mutually beneficial or mutually harmful situation so a lot of my work on canvas and well I say canvas I mean panel <laughs> are these skulls with the flowers and everything on it and what those are are kind of like comments on the climate crisis and our connection to the environment. Our actions are affecting what is happening to the earth and our survival depends on the health of that earth. So we have this kind of relationship that goes back and forth. So conceptually, I'm kind of working on that. I have been working on that series for a while. I, I find a lot of power in the images of death versus the images of life and playing with those. So I've been kind of working on that. And I've tackled things, you know, like pollinator health, ocean health, ocean level rise. I did some pieces about the wildfires. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got one, um, but I'm not going to pick up my computer right That's now. Okay. Sitting on the side here is a, a, a skull with orange smoke and flames coming up behind redwoods with the monarch butterfly. Is that on your skull. website? I think I've seen that on your website. Uh, yeah, that one is on the website. Okay. It's a huge painting. 
but it was kind of put together during, you know, those red smogs that were happening in California. Oh, yeah. And then the results of it, which were that the monarch butterfly came nearly extinct in California as a result of those wildfires because it destroyed their natural habitat. Yeah. So they put them on the endangered list. Again. <laughs> they seem like they're always Again, on and off I of mean, them. Yeah. Well, anything with wings is kind of in trouble right now, but yeah, you got a point there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been working on that. A lot of my um portraiture and like uh work you see in street art, I do some of these skulls in street art, but as I said before, you kind of have to deal with the only difference between studio work and public work is that you kind of have to deal with uh, the person who owns the wall or a curator or something. So it's not right. just pure from your mind. So sometimes people get a little scared of the skulls because that's <laughs> we live not a death positive community. So I end up doing a lot more with the portraiture on that end. It's hard to like boil it down to one concept, but it is highly conceptual in the fact that it's related to the area that I'm painting. There's been a lot of research to get to the image that ends up on that wall. Personally, I believe that art is a great privilege and that when you live in times that are very difficult, it is your responsibility to kind of talk about some of the things that are happening. So, you know, I talk about the climate crisis because if we don't address it, then there's not going to be anything to have this conversation on. You know, there won't be right. any of us. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about equity issues. You want to talk about, you know, as a disabled person, I will talk about accessibility issues. Oh, yeah. I think that that is like the heart of art. Art is supposed to be something that fires conversation and gets people to feel things about what's going on around them. So that's kind of always my goal. Like if you wanted to simplify to the very essence of what I do, I'm doing something to uh, address the issues that are addressing us. Yeah, and that's very valid and worthy because like you said, you have to keep bringing that message up to finally get it to sink into others to start taking action. Art has the power to like create ideas, convey ideas in ways that words can't because a lot of people don't want to read a whole like 20 page, you know, report about, you know, the oh, current yeah. state of the climate. Mm -hmm. And God bless the scientists that do those because they are so important and inform people like me. We get the ability to take that and we're like the cultural sieves, you know, we can take that, we can distill it to its essence and make something that somebody will respond to visually without having to like learn a million facts to know what they're worried about or excited about. You are correct. I don't know how I can improve on that because you're right. You're right. <laughs> Thank you. I know, you're right. There's a lot of reasons you want to do that in the public arts sector, but that's, that's something that's dear to my heart. And I think it's also like a way to kind of combat the ways that art washing gentrifies neighborhoods by like taking all these, you know, ideas and, and making it hyper local. Yeah, so, um, I'm going to ask the question anyway, because you're about to head in that direction. <laughs> Do emotional or social subjects play a part of your work? How and why? You dropped one little seed right there, and that's gentrification. So is that also part of your practice or process when you're doing murals or even your own studio work in a way? Like the awareness of gentrification? Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I live in Richmond, <laughs> right? And <laughs> right. fun things about Richmond that just happened. The New York Times just called us one of the top 10 cities. It's impossible for Gen Z to buy a house in. And that's because of the gentrification of the neighborhood. So when I moved to Richmond, which was in 2009, um, my first house that I rent, I rented a house 
with a couple of friends. My part of the rent was only like $200. Um, oh. You know, you could go out with 10 bucks and, you know, you could go by, you know, keep in mind, I was in my 20s. So you get like, you know, you get the 40, you get like, you know, a pack of cigarettes and then you right. go to the punk show, you know? Oh, um, right, right. And those moments happen, but everything's so much more expensive now. Like that same house, it's in it's in Scott's Edition, which is an area that has experienced a lot of development. And it's covered by sky rises now and mm. it's worth like a million dollars. So like <laughs> Wow. It's hard, it's hard to not feel the effects of these things. Like living in a creative community in a city, you know, a lot of mid-sized cities are experiencing this right now. I know like came in Sacramento this year and Sacramento, same problem. Same Austin, problem. same problem. Like yeah. it's just compounding issue that affects a lot of creative communities that are like had relocated to that area because it was cheap and easy to live you know yeah so this is kind of more moving into the subjective opinion your thoughts your aesthetics because we talked about your practice we talked about your mediums and whatnot so this is the kind of the back half of that interview and I ask this question every once in a while from artists or creatives. Who finishes the work, the viewer or the artist? And of course, I have how and why. I mean, when is an artwork finished? <laughs> touche, sister, touche. <laughs> you can finish like your work on it physically, but I don't think it ever finishes. Like the viewer completes it their own way. Once you physically... Mm finished with the actual painting or sculpting or whatever you're doing you release it into the wild and you are no longer in control of the narrative and the narrative can change and intention does not always equal result right right so you can think a lot about this one thing but when you put it out in the world then people are like oh my god this means another thing and that's out of your hands it does mean that thing it's an image well then this is a great segue how would you like the viewer to respond to your work? So ideally, I would love for you to look at my work and go, oh, there's a problem and I'm going to do something about it. <laughs> In reality, I just hope that people take a moment to realize that there are things happening in the world that are not okay. <laughs> yeah. And to really think about that. And I mean, it's hard to like narrow that down to a single cause. But every piece that I'm doing is coming from that. And I hope that it creates like a moment of introspection uh, within the viewer because that was the point. Because <laughs> that is the point. Okay. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I see where you're yeah. coming from. I understand. Yeah. I mean, like I did, um, for example, when I was in, uh, I love doing um, Paint Memphis down in Memphis, Tennessee. Oh, yeah. I've heard a lot about that one. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a lot of fun. But uh, this year I went down and I, um, because of uh, my hearing loss, I'm I'm deaf. I know it doesn't sound it. But I was raised hearing. But uh, I wanted to like do something with the deaf community. So what I ended up doing was connecting to someone named Tracy who runs Deaf Connect down in Memphis, which is a program that teaches children who are born deaf how to sign. Oh, wow. It's a language accessibility thing, right? Yeah, so yeah. like uh, not all children that are born deaf nowadays are taught ASL because we now have cochlears, right? So it's it's okay. a really cool language access program. And so I painted her. I painted a portrait of her. But she has the same kind of hearing loss I do, and she's on like the, the next step of it. She has a cochlear, which is why she was chosen. So I did a big portrait 
of her with the cochlea highlighted by flowers. And I'm really hoping that people, when they stop and look at that, go, oh, wait, I never really thought about the deaf community and its right. connection. Right, because they are part of our broader community, broader society, you know, and you got to have them included as well, you know, and I'm glad you did that piece. And I, I hope that people received it very well down there. I had I had a wonderful magical experience. So in the deaf like community, there's a thing like your name, your deaf name, right? Yeah. So in ASL, when you like say your name, you sign it, right? So right. Nico. And then like you have a long name that takes forever. So in, in the deaf community, you have to be like given, you have to be given your name. And so I've been calling Tracy my deaf mom because <laughs> because she gave me my deaf name that's cool that's a little touching like, to hear actually i mean not to get verklempt but that's pretty cool i like that yeah cool. like and these experiences just kind of like stick with you it's, it's one of the reasons i love street art you know especially if you go with the community in mind you learn a lot and you meet a lot of people and you get these like little tiny experiences that you wouldn't have like before. That's right. And so now I have a deaf name and all the deaf people in Memphis. Like, Well, what is <laughs> your deaf name? Can you, can you show me your deaf name? I'm kind of curious. Oh, yeah. Um, so I know it's a podcast. So I'll explain it to you. So the, the sign for art is like your pinky finger up. Okay. And then you got your other hand, your non-dominant hand is like a paper. And so it's like drawing an S down your hand. Right. Oh, the letter for N, Miko, is this. So it's it uh, like two you or put three. Your thumb underneath. Oh, it's this one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. M is three. So N is two. Okay. Right? M, N. So, okay. Yeah. So it's like your middle finger and your pointer finger under your thumb. Yeah. And so you put that paper up from art and then you take this N and then you draw like your. Oh, okay. That's pretty art. cool. So it's the sign for art, but with an N. Oh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I'm scared to know what my name would be. <laughs> oh, the other one I learned too was Rainbow. And uh, Oh, Rainbow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've been pushing myself to learn ASL for the last like you know, two years. I've been taking classes. Yeah. I have been meeting more deaf people as I navigate nationally, which yeah. is cool. When I was in the, the Umbrella Art Fair this fall. Yeah. And that's right next to Gallaudet. Yes, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, so uh, one of the graphic design professors came and hung out with me. And I had a moment where I was like, oh, you know, I'm starting to become, I can be conversational a little bit. Because, right. <laughs> you know, Michelle was signing and I was walking around with her, kind of interpreting a bit. Well, I was going to say, in any language, you could speak it better or sign better the more you use it. I understand. So yeah, yeah. I think language is like a matter of practice, right? <laughs> it is. It is. It's it's a practical practice that you got to do. You got to force yourself, oh, yeah. you know. I what like I grew up in I told you I grew up in Canada, yeah. right? When I was young, I could speak French. Cuz everyone in Canada speaks French. Now, nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just the more you do it, the more you practice, the more you learn and cuz I learned something today about, you know, art. So that's that's awesome. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here is the uh, kind of last question. This is a question that I ask everybody because I learn from it. I also wonder, what advice would you give to your past self and to other artists? Okay. Um, so I'd like to remind everybody that there is, and myself, that there is no shortcuts. Mm. Um, you might think it's a shortcut, but it's going to actually take longer in the in the long run. So that would be something I would like to say to myself. 
I also think my younger self could probably know better that you don't have to be a people pleaser mm. because something is uncomfortable. When you start working on work about, you know, what you really care about, sometimes you can land in some pretty uncomfortable social situations. You see it like nowadays, again, when we talk about Palestine, people are like, ah, you yeah, it's know, very charged. Right. You, yeah. don't have to, you don't have to make everybody happy. I'm still learning that one. <laughs> as long as you're true to yourself, and you do the work, you do the research, you learn the method, just keep going. You'll be all right. <laughs> That's pretty good advice. Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah. Like you said, there's no shortcuts. There is no shortcuts. They all, they all seem like shortcuts, but well, in the end. Well, when I was in the end, I was going to say in the uh, I was always taught is like, all right, this is what you have to do X, Y, Z. But there are times where you can bend that rule and skip why to get the z but you have to know all the steps before you can skip a step and i that's kind of one of the many mantras that i use too to other people it's like okay you can't skip that step but you can skip this one. Oh, i don't understand and i'm like okay i'm not gonna go into well, that i guess you know a good way uh comparison i i can have and it's a shortcut that i thought i was taking yeah uh when i especially when i started working big um i when i learned about the projector and they became you know Oh, yes. You know, that seemed like a shortcut at the time. But in reality, it's not. No. But you can still use it. Like, But you have to know how to render something that large to use it correctly. Yep. This is why I love my grid. You know, when you shoot up a an image on a wall, like uh, you're going to see some distortion. And if you don't, your brain can't recognize it looking at that wall, then you're going to paint that distortion. Oh, keystone. It's going to make you mad. Yep. And then you're not going to know why. And then also, like, you don't get all the values. Like, you know, you look at your face and that image, you know, you're going to outline, you know, here and the mouth and, you know, whatever. But you're not going to show the angle of the cheek and where it's the highest. You know, you might posterize it and do that. You have to know that stuff to be able to use it. You know what I mean? Yes. And it's a tool, not a crutch. Yep. That You beat me to the bunch. I was about to say that. It is a tool. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's totally fine to do it. You just have to know how everything works to use it correctly. Right. And is there any questions that I should have asked you, but I didn't? Maybe you could ask about um, how deafness affects people within the public art world. That's an interesting thing that people don't think about very often. Well, okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, you, you valid point. That's why I asked that question. Uh, because I, I would love to expand on, um, you know, when we're dealing with these, like, uh, you know, you're going to those art fairs and you're, yeah. you know, or you, you're doing the mural faster, you know, whatever. Um, and it's not really necessarily just deafness, but there's always, like, everybody's got a battle that you don't see. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's like things like when I go out, I I plan everything ahead of time because then I don't have to use my brain space to figure it out. And, you know, I'll maybe like, you know, be in a space where I have to like talk with uh, the person next to me or I'm collaborating with someone. That's infinitely harder for me to understand because I generally I'd love everybody to know ASL, but they don't. So I, I <laughs> kind of figure out through lip reading what everybody's saying my brain is generally kind of tied up on that so it's easy to miss and it's harder for me to get to the point when I'm out on the street so it's just something for other people to think about that you know and again it's not just deafness but it's everything somebody 
you know, might have a mobility issue that you don't know about, or, right. you know, maybe they struggle to see the color green or whatever. It's just, um, you know, it's, it's something that teaches you a lot about being empathetic to other people. And uh, I, I would love to see more of that within our community. <laughs> well, if you put it out there into the universe, it will eventually come back. So that That's is a valid help. point. Yeah. And <laughs> keep doing it. And and I am going to start understanding that now, too. So oh, you're doing awesome. <laughs> well, I try my best. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Well, that's it. I mean, uh, thank you for that last question, by the way. I'm not going to take credit for that one. You do. Because <laughs> I think that was an awesome thing. And I should have, I didn't think to ask that. So I appreciate that. Thank you again for, for doing the interview and being patient with me because of my weird work schedule. So thank you. Or as I say, thank you. No problem. Thanks for it. Yeah, there you go. You got it. I just like to thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, yeah. I had a wonderful conversation. So um I can't wait till the next time I see you out there somewhere in the world. Oh, you'll see me in the ether. Oh, yes, you will. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, let me do this real quick. I want to say thank you to Nicole for taking the time to do the interview. If you want to learn more about her work, go to her website at NicoleCathcart.com. You can also go to her Instagram page at Nicole Cathcart. If you want to hear past episodes of ArtBoxDNV, head over to the website at ArtBoxDNV.com. And, of course, ArtBoxDNV is on Instagram at ArtBoxDNV. So, until next time, thank you for listening.